And our reading is from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, this is on page 1176 in the Church Bible. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 3. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you, Ken, for reading. Please keep that passage open in front of you. I think you'll find it helpful, and uh, I'll find it helpful too. Let's uh, pray as we come to look at it together. Father, we thank you for your living word. Thank you that your word is living and active and able to penetrate, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So, Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, we pray for that penetrating work of your word in our hearts and our lives and among our community. We pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us grace to respond to what we hear in faith and obedience. For the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. When was the last time someone asked about your walk with God? Or has anyone ever asked, so how's your walk with God going? Uh, If you're not yet a Christian, I imagine not. 
But even for us believers, it seems rather personal, doesn't it? Especially for us Brits, who can tend to be quite private and reserved people. If you're from another country, it may well be a perfectly normal question to ask over coffee. Go on, I dare you. Well, as Paul writes to Christians in Ephesus, he has no shame in talking about walking. Twice in our passage, he instructs God's people to walk in a certain way. Now, the NRV translation hides this somewhat by using the word live. But the command at the end of verse 8 is literally walk as children of light. And in verse 15, be very careful then how you walk. Paul uses the same word right at the start of this uh, practical teaching section. If you just flip back to chapter 4, verse 1, uh, considering all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, God's astonishing purpose for the church, Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. And then verse 17 of that chapter, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. Uh, The original Greek word gives us our English word peripatetic, not exactly in common use today, but it carries with it a sense of movement, of traveling from place to place. And the Bible uses the language of walking to describe a person in close relationship with God. So Genesis 6 verse 8, for example, Noah walked faithfully with God. So I hope John won't mind if I take a slight liberty this morning and just modify the allocated title to Transformed Walking. Paul wants us to consider how we walk. And importantly, he reminds us of where the power comes from to enable us to walk faithfully with God. We could perhaps sum up the message this morning like this. As God's holy people, be filled with the Spirit so you radiate Christ as you walk in light and wisdom. As God's holy people, be filled with the Spirit so you radiate Christ as you walk in light and wisdom. Well, we'll focus our thoughts around those two main walking references. Walk as children of light, verse 8, and walk wisely, verse 15. First, walk as children of light. That's verses 3 to 14. And this first section revolves around the verse in the middle, which acts a bit like a hinge. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And notice how Paul appeals to their new identity that we were thinking about last week. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Not you were in darkness, notice, or you did some dark things. No, you were darkness. This is the sobering reality for every one of us until the light of Christ shines into our hearts. Whether you were brought up in a Christian home and have lived a pretty decent moral life, or whether, like me, your life before Christ was more visibly godless, without the light of Christ, we are all in the same boat. At our core, we were darkness. But in Christ, we are now light. Now, this is not new teaching, of course. Back in Exodus, when God rescues the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he brings them into the promised land of Canaan. The whole idea is that they're meant to be a light to the nations by living attractive lives, different lives, holy lives that will draw other people to God. And likewise, for those of us who trust in Jesus today, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. 
So in Christ, you and I have been spiritually reborn as children of the God who is light. So we're to live now according to our new identity. And to put it another way, we're to uh, show the family likeness. Uh, I'm sure many of us have had this experience where you've gone to some big family gathering, a funeral or a wedding or something, and an aunt that you haven't seen for years exclaims, oh, you look just like your father, or you look just like your mother. Uh, I've got Welsh blood in me, so it usually goes something like this. Oh, Jonathan, now don't you look just like your father? But what may be a moment of cringing embarrassment in a family gathering should actually be a badge of honor that we Christians long to wear that people would look in at the above-bar community, see how we love one another, or or that they observe our lives as with a church in the world, at work, at university, with our neighbors and our family and our housemates. And and although they may not fully understand it, they may even mock us for it, but they see in us a reflection, flawed as it is, but undeniably a reflection of our Father in heaven. Walk as children of light. Now, you may have noticed verse 8 begins with the word for, which connects this paragraph with verses 3 to 7. This truth that Christians are light in the Lord is to be the motivation for avoiding what Paul warns us about in the preceding paragraph. And throughout our passage, we'll see a repeating pattern. Don't walk like that, according to your old self, but walk like this, according to your new self. So to walk as children of light is firstly to practice thanksgiving instead of idolatry. Verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Very strong words. Now embedded in those verses is the gospel motivation behind this corrective teaching. Why not even a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed? Well, because these are improper for God's holy people. Why no obscenity or literally moronic words or dirty jokes? They're out of place for God's holy people. Not fitting, another translation says. See, these are all deeds and words of darkness. And they're inappropriate for children of light. Uh, One of the most striking things about these verses, I think, is the stark contrast with the opening verses of chapter 5. The sacrificial, self-giving, other person-centered love of Jesus on the cross is held up as the supreme expression of divine love. But that's a world away, isn't it? From the self-centered, self-gratifying, greedy desire to have somebody sexually, whether in my mind or in practice, to whom I'm not married, goes against the 10th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But why the reference to idolatry in verse 5? And why does Paul urge thanksgiving instead of immorality and idolatry? Well, an idol is anyone or anything that takes the place of God on the throne of my heart, the command and control center of my life, if you like. Anything that becomes the ultimate focus of my affections and desires. So if I take my creator, God's good gift of sex, and pursue it outside of the divinely designed security of marriage between one man and one woman, well, I've made an idol out of it. I've set my heart on it, and I'm greedily pursuing it apart from God. 
And to overcome idolatry, well, I need to learn to thank the Lord as the giver of every good gift. The one who rules in providence over all my circumstances, who knows all my deepest longings, needs, and frustrations, including perhaps my struggle to remain pure. And as I learn to thank God, well, it becomes more difficult for an idol to take root in my heart. So are you married? Thank God, often for your spouse. Both when married life is sheer bliss, which I understand it can be, and when it's tough going, which I understand it often is. Are you unmarried or widowed? Whether temporary or permanent, be thankful that right now you are free to serve the Lord with undivided devotion. And you have the freedom of not having to please a spouse, which I understand can be very tricky at times. Now, a word to the Christian struggler in this whole area of sexual purity from a fellow struggler. Well, I don't want to water down the clear warning in verses 5 and 6, and so, sorry, in verse 5, and then deceive you with empty words, as verse 6 says. Satan has been doing that from the very beginning, hasn't he? You will not surely die, he says to Eve in the garden. But I do want you to see a clear distinction in the language Paul uses in verses 3 and 4, and the words he chooses very carefully under divine inspiration in verse 5. Uh, Verses 3 and 4 refer to all kinds of sexual acts, lustful thoughts, alongside with all kinds of uh, ungodly speech. And not one of us here has never, to some degree at least, fallen short of that standard. However, if you do wander from the truth but genuinely repent, there is mercy and grace to be found at the throne of God's grace. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, who walked faithfully before his father as the perfect child of light, he has paid the penalty for whenever you or I foolishly stumble back into the darkness. But notice how the language changes in verse 5 to the language of identity. Paul speaks there of the immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. It's their identity, you see, because they haven't yet trusted in Jesus. So they're still disobedient. End of verse 6. Their life is marked out by consistently walking in immorality, impurity, greed, idolatry, with no hint of shame or repentance, because they are darkness, as we once were. But those who, by God's grace, are now children of light, are not to be partners with them, verse 7. Why? Because we have a new identity. Now, we can be sure Paul is not speaking in verse 5 of those Christians, those who are genuinely trusting in Jesus and prayerfully fighting for purity. Because early on in this letter, he assured us, if you flip back quickly to chapter 1, verse 13, Paul assures us, chapter 1, verse 13, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, listen to this, guaranteeing our inheritance. And that's not like putting down a deposit to buy a house where you exchange contracts, you pay the 10% up front, but you have no absolute guarantee that it will all go through. It could fall through. No, the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is the rock-solid, cast-iron guarantee of your inheritance. I've not yet been in membership at Above Bar long enough to know whether there is a hint of sexual immorality among us. But I have been a pastor of two churches and have spent many hours pastorally supporting people, Christians, who struggle 
in this area, those dealing with the often devastating impact of sexual sin, including the damaging effects of pornography, which has torn many a marriage apart and enslaved many a single person, men and women. And I also know my own heart and my own personal battles in this area in the 30 years that I've now been a Christian. So I'd be very surprised if these verses don't challenge us at both the church and the individual level. The Ephesians grew up in the shadow of the huge temple of Artemis, who was worshipped in Ephesus as a fertility goddess. You can imagine how that influenced every aspect of their culture. It made Ephesus a hotbed of all kinds of immorality. And we too live in a sexually permissive culture, don't we? Where the motto is, be true to yourself. If it feels good and I'm not harming anyone, well, what's the problem? But the attitude behind those empty words like that, it's pervasive and it seeps into the church. But by God's grace, we must and we can learn, I stress learn, to resist. As John taught so helpfully last week, chapter 4, verse 22, I must daily put off my old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. But if you remember, we were also taught last week that it's not enough to negatively put off the old self. I must also positively, chapter 4, verse 24, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul urges what we might call replacement therapy, thanksgiving instead of idolatry, and then fruitfulness instead of darkness. As children of light, we should, verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. I'm sure Paul has in mind there all kinds of dark deeds, uh, not only sexual sins. The reference in verse 12 to what the disobedient do in secret reminds us that some Ephesians were converted out of a background of uh, magic arts and secretive occult practices. You can read about that in uh, Acts 19. But whatever dark deeds you or I might be seeking to move away from, a major part of our strategy must be to replace the dark deeds with, verse 9, the fruit of the light, which consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So here's a a practical suggestion for this coming week. I've been trying this out over recent weeks. I've been coming under the authority of this passage. Why not do exactly what Paul says in verse 10 and find out what pleases the Lord? What I mean by that is, is pray and ask God each day to show you some specific good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do, and ask him to help you produce the fruit of the light as you do those good works, so that at home, at work, among friends and neighbors, within the church family, your life will increasingly radiate practical goodness, righteousness, and truth. And look at the outcome. When God's children walk more consistently in the light, we become in practice what we already are as a spiritual reality, the light of the world. So notice we now expose the deeds of darkness, end of verse 11. Not by being the kind of unattractive Christians who stand in judgment over unbelievers and condemn them by harshly pointing out all their sins. No, verse 12, because it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But, verse 13, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. So you see, you can have this effect on other people before you even open your mouth to speak. So I was uh, preparing this uh, late on Monday afternoon. Um, The sun started streaming into my flat. 
Now, I had spent a good while that, that morning uh, trying to clean it, and I thought I'd done a pretty good job. In fact, I'd even did a couple of weeks ago my least favorite chore of all, which is uh, cleaning my balcony windows. Or so I thought. Because as the low afternoon streamed in, it showed up every smear, every smudge, every streak on the windows. As it hit the kitchen surfaces and the laminate floor, it showed up every crumb, every piece of dust. I blame James Dyson personally. Now, although I'm not an obsessive cleaner by any means, I thought I'd done a pretty good job. But in the bright sunlight, there was no hiding place. And you know, that is rather like what happens when a child of the light is committed to pleasing God by producing fruitfulness instead of darkness. As you go into work tomorrow, or maybe go on Zoom, as you go into the classroom or the lecture hall, as you go out with friends, visit your unbelieving family, your very presence as a child of the light will be rather like the afternoon sun streaming through a window. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. You may be completely unaware of it. And rather excitingly, this is the first step in children of darkness becoming children of light because end of verse 13, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is, God uses the light of your life and mine to draw others who are still in darkness to himself. And that's the point of the quote in verse 14, Christ shines through his people on those who are spiritually dead and says, wake up. May well be an early church hymn. It could be an allusion to Isaiah 60, verse 1. Now, we know this process, don't we? How many of us in our personal testimony will speak of Christians we knew and the quality of their lives? That there was something so attractive about them or that there was something so challenging about their godly behavior that somehow we were drawn to Christ, we felt strangely convicted, and we sat up and listened to the good news. As a 16-year-old uh, rebellious teen, steeped in all kinds of godless behavior, I was regularly welcomed into the home of my school friend Steve and his Christian parents. And uh, many a Sunday, week by week, I was opened, they opened their home to me and just welcomed me in with such warm hospitality and zero judgment. And I got to see the light and the love of Christ up close. Now, it was another seven years before I finally abandoned my idols and put my faith in Jesus. But I first saw the light in their home. And it's for this reason, because our lives have such potential to impact those still in darkness, Paul urges us secondly and more briefly to walk wisely, verses 15 to 21. Verse 15, be very careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's not a new train of thought. Paul is building his argument. Uh, because as children of the light, we're on show to children of the darkness, so we're to be wise in the way that we behave and speak. You notice the same pattern, not as unwise, old self, but as wise, new self. And Paul has more uh, replacement therapy uh, to describe what this looks like in practice. So redeeming the time, firstly, instead of foolishness. To live wisely means, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I don't need to say anything about the days being evil, do I? We know the days are evil. But making the most of every opportunity to do what in such dark days? Well, to walk as children of light, to display gospel fruitfulness. Like Anatoly Reichnitz of the Ukraine Bible Society, this week I watched an inspiring video of him loading up children's Bibles and New Testaments into a van that was then going to be driven into bomb-ridden Ukrainian cities and handed out in shelters 
and in hospitals. Now that's what I call making the most of every opportunity. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, old self, but understand what the Lord's will is, new self. And what is the Lord's will? Well, in this context, surely to understand what a wise life looks like as revealed in Scripture. Book of Proverbs is a great place to start, packed full of uh, practical wisdom for life. 31 chapters, chapter a day over the next month. As we live wisely in a foolish world that is ignorant of God's will, so we will point people to the reality of the all-wise God. And then Paul's final session of replacement therapy, filled with the Spirit instead of drunkenness. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine or beer or any other alcohol, old self, which leads to debauchery, the deeds of darkness of the kind mentioned in verses 3 to 8. Instead, new self, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit, as we've already been hearing and singing this morning, empowers and energizes and equips believers to walk as children of light and to walk wisely. Now, I know this verse has often caused great confusion and even division among believers and led to all kinds of uh, strange teachings, which are at best uh, unhelpful and at worst dishonoring to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that Paul is not suggesting here that to be filled with the Spirit, or more literally be filled in Spirit, is a bit like getting drunk so that we lose control of ourselves. I watched a horrendous video on YouTube about being drunk in the Spirit, which is just the most disturbing thing I think I'd ever seen. Now, if we allow the Bible to interpret the Bible, we know that cannot be the case, because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. The spiritful person will be self-controlled, not out of control. And nor does Paul want us to think of the Holy Spirit as a liquid so that we need to be filled uh, because we leak, as I remember reading in a, a book as a young believer. No, no, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's spirit, not liquid. Uh, imagine you, you've, got a, you've got a relative coming to stay this coming week. Uh, you can't invite 75% of them into your home, can you? With some relatives, you may wish you could because they're a bit full on, but you can't. You either have the whole person or not at all. And so it is, brothers and sisters, with the Holy Spirit. Can I assure you that if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus this morning, you have the whole of the Holy Spirit living in you. You see, the question is not how much of him have you got, but how much of you has he got? Are you flinging open the doors of your heart and your life? Is he a welcome house guest? Or are you keeping back those dingy cupboards or that box room full of junk that you just rather would keep hidden away and not allow the Holy Spirit to do his work? You will not be filled with the Holy Spirit if you do that. Or let's use Paul's contrast with alcohol. I think it's meant primarily as a contrast. Is your life coming more and more under the influence of the Holy Spirit? There's an offense in law, isn't there? Driving while under the influence. Well, brothers and sisters, we are to walk while under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's worth asking ourselves this morning, if it were a crime to walk wisely under the influence of the Holy Spirit, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Well, if you want to examine yourself, Paul gives us four marks of a spirit-filled life. Speaking, singing, 
thanking and submitting. Notice from the first three, it will be most evident by what comes out of our mouths. Which shouldn't surprise us because in the book of Acts, whenever people are filled with the Spirit, it leads them finding courage to speak boldly about Jesus or to praise God without inhibition. So being filled with the Spirit leads, verse 19, to speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, and more literally, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Note the dual purpose of spoken and sung worship. We speak truth to one another to build each other up, and we also sing to the Lord to exalt and glorify him. Note the variety of content too, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All music styles welcome. Enough said. The spirit-filled person will also be a thankful person. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. So not constantly grumbling, criticizing, nitpicking. Notice Paul has turned full circle now back to thanksgiving. And it is under the growing influence of the Holy Spirit that I will turn from idolatry to thanksgiving. And then finally, the spirit-filled person will be a submissive person. The NIV begins a new paragraph in verse 21, but grammatically it's another present participle dependent on the command to be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you know there's nothing weak about true biblical submission. It's the way of the cross. All of us as Christians are called to submit to one another, just as Jesus submitted to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. Well, my time is up. So as as we close, let me ask the question that perhaps no one has ever asked you. The one I've been asking myself over recent weeks. How is your walk with God going? Uh, Enoch is one of my favorite Bible characters. We don't know much about him. But in Genesis 5.24, we read, Enoch walked faithfully with God. In Hebrews 11.5, we're told he was commended as one who pleased God. That's very Ephesians 5, isn't it? But Enoch also appears in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, pointing us forward to his infinitely greater descendant, the one who walked as a perfect child of light throughout his short life, the one who displayed the infinite wisdom of God by humbling himself and submitting himself to death on the cross, defeating the powers of darkness. And as you and I strive by grace to walk in his light and wisdom, Jesus assures us, Luke 11 verse 13, that our Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So why don't we do that right now? Let's pray. Father, please forgive us where we have failed, maybe even this week, this morning, to walk as children of light. Forgive us where we failed to walk wisely, And, oh, Lord, we pray that you would indeed please give us your Holy Spirit. May we be filled up with him, with the presence of the Lord Jesus in our hearts and lives, that we will be strengthened so that this coming week, Lord, we leave behind whatever is past. We move away from deeds deeds of darkness. And by your grace and by the Spirit's power, we walk as children of light and walk wisely. And, oh, Lord, we pray that the light of Christ would shine from our lives and that you would be pleased, Lord, to cause those around us to wake up and trust in the Lord Jesus for themselves. We pray this in his precious and wonderful name. Amen.